This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast that has to atone for our sins so hard that we brought on a reverend today. I am your co-host, Yvette Antrema, and with me is my very guilty and very contrite co-host, Alice Vaughn. Alice, how guilty are you? All the time. Uh, but I was always told that this show was a religious experience for people listening to it. They are saying, oh, God, a lot. Is that in a good way, though? Do the atheists say, oh, forces of nature? I don't know. It's, I, I hear that joke from atheists a lot. Like whenever people are like, I'm an atheist now and I'm going to make a clever. Do atheists in bed say, oh, forces of nature? No, I say, oh, Jesus Christ, fuck me harder. Like that's that's what I say in bed. There is your secret for what atheists say in bed. Actually, on our second episode, no, was it our second or third episode ever where we had Sin Sage? I'll never forget. Mm. I think she was an atheist and she said, when we asked her that question, she was like, I, I, I just say, oh, fuck. <laughs> I love Sin. She's fantastic. Everyone needs more sensation in their life. Everybody needs more sin in their life. <laughs> yes. And, and when they sin, if they are of religious nature, they might need to confess those sins to a reverend. I have to say, now, I, I feel like we're at the bottom of the totem pole here because, so, the guest we have on today has kind of been... Yeah, a number of places, you would say. So has uh, quite the resume. Like it's, yeah. it's describing it in one word, you would have to have to go eclectic, varied. Like you may have seen him on like Larry King Live, Today Show, Nightlife, Meet the Press, uh, CNBC, you know, ABC, NBC. He's an as seen on person. And look, we may not be a household name just yet, but look, we have spunk, we have moxie, and actual sometimes literal spunk. And as I like to say, I'm a household name amongst like one in 20 millennials. Excellent. Cybabe has some clout occasionally amongst a few skeptics, some places. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> we have the Honorable Reverend Barry Lynn. Barry, thanks for coming on the show. It's today. wonderful to be Lynn here. Barry Lynn gets our Thank applause, you. and we are so we are we are honored to have you with us. Barry, what brought you onto this little porn cast? Well, I'm a good friend of Natalia's, who I understand. In fact, one time when she and I were doing Fugelsang's show this past summer, she said, "If you could stay, I'd like to bring you over to do this podcast." And I said, "I can't. I have to go home," but. I'm delighted that we've managed to join up here to do this. We love Natalia so much. She's our other co-host. <laughs> I used to speak at a lot of atheist conventions as well as in a lot of other places. And whenever I would be introduced, the person that would introduce me would say, uh, "We're here. I'm here to introduce our next speaker. Uh, he is a minister in the United Church of Christ, and he's the only person I do not want to convert to atheism. Wow. Not even the atheists want you? I mean, I, we accept anyone. They love me, but they, they just love my background. Because I do take, I take the law and I take religion very seriously. My thing is always, as long as you accept science, go ahead and believe whatever your conversation is between you and the invisible guy. That's cool with me. Just, you know, don't make that conversation affect your accepting of science. And I'm fine with it. Terrific. So, yeah. Well, I can guarantee you I'm a strong science believer. Look at along. I, I was once so. the team captain on a firing line special called, uh, you know, Bill Buckley 
I don't know who does it now, but Bill Buckley was kind of the quintessential Mr. Conservative for the oh, yes. 50s and 60s. And he used to have these specials, and he, he would always pose the resolution in a way that was uh, favorable to his side. Like that one, one on evolution was resolved that evolutionists should accept creation. And I was a team captain on that show. Wow. People still watch it. It's a, it was actually a wow. wonderful show, and yeah. it's it's now up on my website. I'm sure you'll give me a chance to repeat it. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's barrywlynn.com, and it's got a lot of interesting things, and most recently, the four specials that I did for Firing Line, only one yes. of which was on the subject of science. So as much as we are also lovers of science here on the show, we are also lovers of the First Amendment. Now, correct me, am I, am I wrong? Are you a lawyer uh, that special, has specialized on the First Amendment, or do you just happen to discuss it a lot? No, I'm also a lawyer. So I'm a lawyer and a minister. I used to say, um, yeah, I'm a minister and a lawyer, which means I could forgive you tonight and go on and sue you <laughs> in the morning. So tell me, as far as the First Amendment goes, so one of the things that we're going to discuss heavily here is really kind of the evolution and the history, because as we speak on the show, we, we talk a lot about, you know, sex, sexuality, porn, but th there's also a lot of it kind of ties back to uh, the First Amendment, because, I mean, you, I'm sure, are very familiar with, like, a number of different obscenity laws that have kind of changed throughout the years, and now we're kind of fighting a, a new fight on a digital platform for our First Amendment rights, but let's, before we get into any of that, let's talk about the days of the past, or, I mean, they're still kind of the present, because we still have obscenity laws to this day, right? Now, we do. In 1973, the Supreme Court tried to define what obscenity was, and it's a three-part test. In order for something to be obscene, it has to be all of the following. I think you're going to find this doesn't make much sense. I feel like this is going to be one of those things that makes us both laugh. <laughs> Does the average person applying contemporary community standards find that the Whatever it is, the book, the movie, the video, appeals to the prurient interest. That's a bad standard because right now we have a lot of people with mass hysteria about a movie called Cuties. Absolutely. So. I have not seen it, but I've heard about it. But the key word there is prurient. Yeah. Prurient. Exactly. Why would We're you buy or view anything that was erotic if you didn't find it prurient? Well, prurient as... It seems to have been, in a number of legal cases from what I've seen, as defined as uh, something where it's kind of degrading and you kind of hate yourself for watching it. I mean, look, guys, I I'm not speaking to all of you where you hate yourself after you come. So, look, we're not, we're throwing out the general rule. Alice is just talking about what I told her about how I feel after I come. Sorry. But... Purient has a very specific, it seems like, legal definition where generally pornography and a lot of erotic uh, stuff of nature, it just doesn't apply to. And actually, you know, I say that because even like earlier this year when people were applying for PPE loans, a lot of people, you know, had to fight, you know, no, this isn't purient. People are willing to do this. People want to do this. This is not something where, you know, I'm subjecting myself and I'm degrading myself and I hate myself and, you know, I'm, I'm hating all these decisions that I'm doing it. But you could kind of say of also other types of jobs like being a cashier or a waitress or a 
working for yourself or anything in life? Basically, anything that you need to do to keep you alive to make money is not a is a thing that can be degree. Just saying. No, actually, and that's a good point. But most of the problem has been defining what is a community standard. And in my view, the community I care about is not my set of houses here in Washington, D.C. It's not my next door neighbor. It's me. It's my household. It's what I do in the bedroom or occasionally in other rooms. That is the community that matters, <laughs> not somebody else's opinion about it. That is a good point. How about number two? Does it depict sexual conduct in a patently or patently offensive way? That depends on who's taking offense and what their standards are for offense. I have a relative who thinks blowjobs are icky. Mm. And that would be offensive to them if they saw it in a video. I'm just saying, like, everyone's got their level at which the thing has gone too far. And that level is higher or lower, depending on your kinks. Not even when it comes to necessarily kinks. You know that I sell crayons. I had someone who complained and said, Alice, I will not buy your, your original set of offensive crayons because of the two words privilege and presidential. Because it's on the orange crayon. White people are very easily offended. I'm just saying. But here's the thing. She still somehow ended up selling the political set, which was really interesting because I don't know how those jokes went over her head. Those were worse. Maybe they did go over her head. <laughs> I'm willing to work with everyone. Look, anyone who will pay you, you will work with them. <laughs> I will take your money. Yes, please. Hashtag late stage capitalism. All right, so sorry. Let me Barry. get to the third yes. point. Let me just around <laughs> out just how silly this definition is. Yeah. Does it We're lack any you. serious artistic, political, or scientific value? That means back in the 50s, for example, when it was even unclearer what it was that was obscene, people would put in the flyleaf of the books, oh, this is intended purely for educational purposes. They thought that would insulate them from possible prosecution. But how can it not be a political statement? One of the reasons people don't like porn, and I certainly don't like all porn, and I know you don't like all porn. I don't think anybody who likes porn likes all porn. Yeah, well, but here's the thing. Political speech, when those anti-porn feminists, there are still some around, there certainly were around in the time in the in that I was uh, fighting the Ed Meese Pornography Commission. I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, but um, it was yeah. a political statement. They said every single piece of sexually explicit material offends women. It is degrading to women. Every one. There are still feminists who believe that. I know. Who say that, you know, it's not uncommon that I heard only a few years ago of, like, Emma Watson bearing herself nude on a magazine cover, and there would be women who would, who would say, why is she degrading herself like that? And they were, I'm not talking about conservative feminists, to be clear. Yeah. I'm talking about those where they say, well, she's just doing it because she knows uh, she's objectifying herself, and why should she do that? It makes no sense. It's her body, and she's a loud and you know maybe that's a thing that that makes her feel empowered and not the same the same things don't make everyone feel good or empowered or bad or or degraded about their bodies and that's kind of feminism it's you do you girl like i i don't see how that message got lost no you know i uh when i 
I did travel around with the Edmies Pornography Commission. I was not on the commission. I was opposed to the commission from literally the minute it started. So what was the Pornography Commission and how did it develop and how long did it last? It lasted for about a year and it was created by... Ed Meese's Justice Department. He technically, he had left the Justice Department shortly. It was uniformly known as the Meese Commission, the Meese Pornography Commission, and it was a setup. I mean, it gave me one of my, I think, three quotes of the day in the New York Times. I said, I believe a train marked censorship has just left the station. A good one. So here's what happened. It was a setup from the beginning. It was set up by the Reagan administration and by the Mies Justice Department under the assumption that pornography was a national crisis. And it had some of the weirdest people on it you can imagine. And when I'm talking weird, I'm talking about prudish. Are they still in circulation in Republican politics today? Because it seems like we're still dealing with a lot of the same people. <laughs> Well, some of them are. James Dobson was on that panel. He's the head oh of Focus God. on the Family, which, of course, spun off this, uh, you know, if I believed in Satan, neo-satanic group called the Family Research Council. But that James Dobson uh, is still around. He had a, a pretty serious heart attack. He's still around. Frederick Schauer, who was arguably kind of the mo one of the more moderate people on the commission, the only constitutional scholar on the commission, but he believed that, for example, let's get down to the down and dirty, sex toys, he said, were not protected by the First Amendment because they had no communicative value. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> no communicative value. What the heck are we talking about? Have, have, have you met a woman when she hasn't had an orgasm for a month? That that is a societal good. God damn it! <laughs> Sorry, I'm just saying Hitachi should be given out at puberty. Maybe not at puberty. That's a little young. But 18th birthday, every woman just like a stork should drop it on your doorstep. Couple other members that you, you might find interesting. One was Father Bruce Ritter. Father Bruce Ritter, known to people in New York as the founder of Covenant House, the place for oh, runaways. I've heard of that place. Yeah, well, a couple of journalists found out that during the time that he was on the Porn Commission, he was also hiring, not children, but young men to join him in his hotel rooms. He eventually had to leave Covenant yeah. House because he had been uh, fooling around with some of the people who lived there. Why do they always turn out to have homosexual dalliances or be like, I just, why is it always the obvious thing? It's they repress it and they, they're trying to make up for it with, you know, outward show. That's what they're trying to do. I saw this happen in my own house, like it's with my father. And so seeing it happen over and over again, it's just like, guys, come on. It's okay. It's society will accept you. Maybe not your church, but everyone else will just come on. It's fine. Father Ritter started a discussion one day about whether Michelangelo's famous statue of David was or was not pornographic because there is a penis showing. So what did he decide? Well, he Porn thought it was not? pornographic, but uh, uh, to their credit, the majority of the people that afternoon on the commission, I had 12 people on it, said, no, it's not pornographic. When I talk about prudishness, I'm not talking about somebody who's looking at the worst kind of pornography you could ever imagine yeah. and go, uh, well, that's terrible. No, I'm talking about people who think that possibly 
a classical statue of David might be pornographic. In his defense, I can understand where he's coming from. Because, look, if you look at David long enough and you go with that porn for long enough, I'd hit it. I would imagine some stuff. What you're saying is when uh, on our next trip to Italy, I should like keep you on a leash just in case. Not even just in case. Uh, I'm. <laughs> you're going to start. Sca- you'll be like, look, it's an 18 foot man. That's a big I can do that. I can do that. I have goals. I respect you for those goals, too. I actually I have a, I have to bring an art historian one day onto the show because no, in all seriousness, all the penises. In, no, in because art. we were talking about like all the penises that like fell off the statues uh, in, in and that are hidden in the oh. Vatican, supposedly, because the long story short is that, you know, how like a lot of those statue, uh, beautiful statues just don't have dicks. I hadn't thought about it that much. But it, it's like they were chiseled off or something. I'll go with you on this. Yes. The point is that they, um, gosh, guys, don't quote me on this. Or if you're a listener, write in and please correct me. We always say correction. I do. Uh, but I, I remember this. There was this one story, Jesus, um, where one specific pope said that all of those uh, phalluses need to be covered up. So they put a specific material which actually didn't react well with the stone. So what ended up happening was the dicks actually fell off because of a chemical reaction. In a lot of paintings, they painted over with fig leaves. Too. So similar thing. But they supposedly took the dicks and they, instead of disposing of them, they decided to just keep them. So supposedly somewhere like buried underneath the Vatican are, is like a box of dicks. So if, how about this? If you work at the Vatican, write in. Let us know where we could find this box of dicks. Wait, wait, wait. This is going to be like the next Angels and Demons, only it's going to be Justin Timberlake hunting for the dick in the box. <laughs> That's going to be the next big thing. Dan Brown, call us. But I want to continue statuary because when I used to do a lot of of cable television, I had a guy in my office who would give me something to say every time I was on the Fox News channel, something weird like Custer's last stand. And then I'd have to work it in somehow. But statuary fits in perfectly. At the end of the Ed Meese Pornography Commission, they were going to issue a giant report. I had obtained, however, a copy of it a week earlier than they were planning to release it. So I, of course, issued a press release on behalf of the American Civil Liberties Union saying, you know, the government, just like Larry Flint, has the right to produce pornography. And then, so they were very ticked at me. They they were annoyed with me because I went around the country and made fun of them. So they wouldn't let me come into the actual Hall of Justice to have Ed Meese and the chairman of the commission, who was a man named Henry Hudson, who regrettably is now a federal judge in Virginia. They were there to present to Ed Meese the entire report, which I had already released. So all the good stuff was out. How good is the stuff? Well, it was pretty good. It had the complete transcript not only of Deep Throat, but of a, a movie I'm, I'm sure the two of you have reviewed, Biker Slave Girls. But Not yet! <laughs> not yet. Well, it's probably well, hard the, to find. Oh, don't worry. If anyone can find it, it's Alice. Oh, yeah. Done. If you mention a thing to her and say it's hard to find, she's like... <laughs> I don't care if the VHS is going to cost me $87 and I have to drive all the way to Tucson and get it from some guy in his basement. I'll find yeah. it. Between me being an investigative journalist and her being like, you told me I can't have it, like, we're on it. <laughs> all right, sorry, continue. Biker slave girls, <laughs> why is this relevant? Well, yeah, because let's, let's they, I just thought it was interesting that they 
chose to, among other things, publish the transcripts, the transcriptions of those two films in their entirety. <laughs> and and they also oh. did, they sent a guy to Times Square. Times Square in my day was probably a little rougher than it is in your day, although I don't know. Don't worry, it's getting back. We're, we're going back to it. Yeah, we're it's going fine. back oh, yeah. to it. We should. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they sent a guy there to do an entire A to Z list of pornography from A to Z, you know, anal to zoophilia, A to Z, oh a checklist God. of pornography. I said in that press release that I thought this would probably be the most widely purchased federal report on any subject ever published. Anyway, but they didn't like that. They didn't like it. So all of a sudden, they wouldn't let me come into the Hall of Justice. They put me in an overflow room with a giant television in front of me. And I saw oh, no. people walking up to attach their microphones to the podium. And this is what they would do. They would attach it, and then they would look up and giggle, giggle. And I thought, what are they looking at? And then I remembered what they were looking at. The goddess of justice with one bare breast. So there's Ed that was Meese, her good tit. Henry Hudson, and one breast. And for many, many years, I described that picture which appeared on the front page of almost every newspaper in the country as the three boobs photograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. Well, let me tell you about one other guy. Park Dietz is a psychiatrist. And he was obsessed with the issue of detective magazines, which also, you know, in the 60s and 70s, this was a whole genre of magazine. It, it what didn't have nudity on the cover, but it had women in peril, so that uh. it was a kind of eroticization of violence, and they were very upset about it. So when he, he and I, and a very well-known constitutional law professor from the University of Pennsylvania, we had a debate for a bunch of journalists after the Porn Commission had finished its report, and everyone had been able to read it and do their checklist A to Z on the films. Wait a minute, Tim Dietz, and I'm sorry to interrupt, wasn't he consulting or at least testify on like a few high-profile cases like John Hinckley, Jeffrey Dahmer, Andrea Yates, the Unabomber? Uh, he did He did have a career after that, and, and he, I presume that he went to do better things. But this was a debate for journalists. And uh, so he was on one side, and I and his constitutional law professor were on the other side. The constitutional law professor wanted to talk about uh, Lady Chatterley's lover. Well, there was a famous case in the United States about Lady Chatterley's lover, which I, I think they probably you know teach in elementary school now, but it was scandalous. He thought, that's what we we're going to talk about. Park Dietz did his entire presentation of a kind of porn, genital mutilation pornography. Yeah. Now, somehow, between genital mutilation pornography and Lady Chatterley's Lover is most of the sexually explicit material that was available then and that is available now. But he was obsessed with this. He had an enormous collection of the stuff, uh, of porn in general, it was research. It was research. And uh, I never, I was never invited to visit his home, but I imagine there were good closets. He researches alone. Why not? Look, he's very particular about his research. He needs to be alone. He needs his research lube. He needs a belt around his neck just to keep him it's restrained from belt. getting too excited about it. Yeah. 
There were two women on the, on the commission boob. who were actually there. They were four women. One was just a, a crazy political appointee from Arizona. Uh, one was a, a woman interested in in child sex trafficking. I mean, she is a fairly sensible person. And then two other people, Ellen Levine who had been the editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, and now, at that time, she was the editor of Woman's Day magazine. And the other was a woman, a psychiatrist at New York University's medical school, whose principal job was studying rapists. And we, we became kind of friendly before the whole thing was over, and I remember I went to talk to her at lunch one day in New York, and she said, you know, Barry, I have never had a rapist that I counseled never had one that was influenced by pornography. And so she did a, a very clear dissent, as did Ellen Levine from Woman's Day. And uh, Diane Tilton was you know, also kind of, because the whole thing was embarrassing. Why would you allow yourself uh, to be put into this commission and then be expected, be, I guess, because, well, you're a woman, so you must hate this stuff. And they didn't take that bait. And they were very credible after that. Oh, but you want to know more about Ellen Levine. Amazing you would ask that. I know I'm psychic. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I have yeah, no yeah. idea who this Ellen Levine is. <laughs> okay, well, well, you know what Cosmopolitan Magazine was. Was or is? Well, it's still, I think it's still out there. I never bought it, so I don't know. You're not their target demographic, Barry? <laughs> no, probably not. But... I want to tell you about Ellen. Ellen Levine was a very, I don't know what word to use. I use this word conventionally attractive, a conventionally attractive woman. And uh, we, that is to say, the entire Porn Commission, myself, and a wonderful woman who, if, if she's still around, I think you should have her on this show, Carol Vance. She was a scholar, a sociology scholar who studied sex panics. In other words, this is the times in our history when somebody becomes convinced that something is the root of all evil, particularly for teenagers. Comic books, that's why they created the comics Rock code. And roll, Rock and roll, video games. Are we back to video games? I don't know. I, I say this as a gamer. It's definitely that they're they're mad at the video games because it's the, it's the thing the kids are doing. It's the tick of a talk and the oh no it's it's a social media right now combined with the video games yeah social media right now is I think the newest hottest thing it's the tick of a talk that all the kids are on <laughs> so we found ourselves in Houston Texas Carol Vance and I and the entire commission on a bus a bus trip to visit pornography stores in Houston now ooh how many did you find. Oh. <laughs> they were a lot, but we, they only visited three of them. But the last one was the most interesting one. And these are not, this is not, I have to say this to people of generations perhaps younger than myself. Uh, this is not the kind of story you find in a strip shopping mall. Super story. All the dildos are lined up by size and color and the bright lights. These are really sleazy I've, joints. I've been, I've been to a variety of, of sex shops. between, Like, as I started, the first one I went to, or no, the first one I went to was this, was this really nice, like, feminist-owned one in Boston called Grand Opening. Ah, ha, ha, because uh -huh. it's about the, uh. but like, you know, then like, at one point I was living in New Hampshire and the only thing I had was a shitty one run by a sketchy guy on the side of like of, of a state highway and, you, and it's like that one you're like all right these are neon fluorescent lights grab your dildo get the fuck out hope you didn't catch anything like there's a very easy way to learn if you can trust a sex shop just walk in and check what the return policy is 
Uh, and a, a public health comment to boot. Okay, so we're in this place, and one of the one of the other purely appoint, uh, political appointees had a very again conventionally attractive wife who had been in a, a movie, a Peter Sellers movie. I don't expect you to know who Peter Sellers is, called The World of Susie Wong. And she, she was wearing a gold lame dress. And when she went up to purchase the tokens... I'm actually really insulted that you're like, oh, I don't think you know, like, the guy who's uh, the English film actor who was of the Pink Panther and Doctor oh, Strange right. love. But no, sure. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to offend. I'm like, do you know how much Botox I have in here to make myself look this mediocre? I'm old, goddammit. Sir, I am 76. So we go there, you have to buy tokens. Because Why do you buy tokens in a porn store? Because at that time, oh, yes. there was no video, there are no streaming, there's no video, there's nothing. You went back you into go the there And you go, you put your quarter in what is called a buddy booth. And a buddy booth was big enough for two, and you would watch a little 16 millimeter loop of people engaged in sexual activity. And then you'd put in another quarter and watch another few minutes. So I end up in a buddy booth with Ellen Levine, the aforementioned Ellen Levine, and Henry, <laughs> and Henry Hudson. Oh, my God. And Henry Hudson, we're, this is what we're watching. Two Hashtag gay men wearing green monster masks having anal sex. I've done weirder things on a Tuesday, to be fair. I mean, I don't know about you, Yvette, but that sounds like a great bonding experience with colleagues. You know, going into a sex shop, throwing in a couple coins. Next time that we're at a place where you can still, like, throw in coins for a live show, you and I are doing this. This isn't even a question. Oh, my God. Actually, speaking of live shows, uh, there may not be buddy booths like as you described, Barry, you know, where you see a film played before you because no one's going to pay for that nowadays. However, what they do still have, and when I was in Amsterdam, I saw this, which is uh, you can go into a theater, kind of like a standing theater, and it's a, there's a circular room with a rotating bed, and on the bed is a woman uh, generally who's naked and, you know, showing herself off, dancing around, uh, you know, uh, spreading the flaps, if you know what I mean, and not only her blanket. Opening uh, the curtains. So Pretty much. But you can spend, I think it was, what was it, 75 cents or a dollar to get into this booth and you could go in alone or you could go in a pair. And I went in a pair. Uh, you know, that's how you meet new people in a new town. Uh, but <laughs> the point is, you know, uh, you have this frosted window that as soon as you put in the money becomes unfrosted. And as soon as the time elapses within a minute or two, it fogs back up again. Huh. Let me just finish. Let me finish my story about the gay men in the monster mask. So Henry Hudson turns to me and says, "Barry, you know, when you testified before the Commission on behalf of the American Civil Liberties Union, you said all images contain ideas." He says, "Oh, tell me, what is the idea of this?" And I turned to Henry, and in a, in a moment, I don't always have these moments. I said, "Henry, how about this? Try it. You might like it." <laughs> now, Ellen, Ellen Levine thought that was very funny, but she's a very professional person, and I could see that she was stifling a few laughs. But I'm glad you brought up round beds, because I have a story about a round bed also. Oh, we like this. We, we're excited for this. Let's hear it. Okay. So I was, um, 
I was speaking to the adult video news convention in Las Vegas, and a guy named Steve Friedman, who was one of the two biggest uh, pornogra- gay distributors of pornographers, who's not gay, the two biggest pornographers at the time who were distributing gay porn were a Jewish couple in San Francisco and Steve Friedman. We know them. Oh, you know them. We just had their daughter on. Oh, yeah, that's uh, a wonderful the... movie. People yeah. should. Yeah, Circus of Books. Rachel Mason. Yeah, we had Rachel and we had Buck, her uh, her boyfriend, on on different episodes. So Steve Friedman had a, a paid for my way to go out there. He put me up in Caesar's Palace, which is n- not not the highest end, but it was a, a nice little place. I'm I'm sorry, but I think Caesar lives there. No, actually, Caesar does not live there. Does the real Caesar? Uh, see, live I hated there? to correct you, but I I, I have to tell you, <laughs> we are concerned with facts on the show, sir. So we appreciate. Thank you, appreciate. <laughs> we appreciate your dedication. So, anyways, and here's what's in the room. I'm just by myself. There's a, a giant round bed with a mirror on the ceiling. Okay, fast forward about six months. I'm on the Oprah Winfrey show talking about pornography, and with a guy from something called the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a, is a right-wing legal group. Oh, and we were supposed to be on after, I'm not making this up, two child molesters from a Utah prison. But the, the, the producer fuck? for Oprah Winfrey becomes rushing into the green room. Saying, we have to get right on this right now. We can't get hooked up to Utah. So we all go out in the little anti-way to go on the stage. And I looked at this guy from the Alliance Defending Freedom and I said, you know something? I said, I, I was uh, in Las Vegas not too long ago. And I said, you probably know this, but the uh, a major pornographer paid me to come. I spoke at the adult video news convention. And I said, but I woke up in my hotel room. I was on a round bed and I looked up. I was on my back and I looked up and I saw myself in the mirror. And all of a sudden I said, maybe those anti-pornography people are right. He didn't have much of a sense of humor. He said, "He said, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you're beginning to see it our way. See, that's another thing about no. censors. They have no, zero oh. sense of humor. And I mean, I get it. Occasionally, I'm the, pers- I'm the person who's trying to be the buzzkill at people. And like, I look like I have no sense of humor. And no matter what, if you're the person trying to tell people no, you're the humorless douchebag. And like, when people are trying to tell, tell people no about porn, I'm like, why? It doesn't def- you if you're not the one like it's a it's happening in other people's bedrooms this doesn't affect you only once did i have someone force pornography on me i was i was actually in a debate with larry flint was on my team and there was a guy on the other side named larson i forget his first name but he was obsessed with pornography i mean he this was his whole shtick he later i'm not making this up either he later went on to become a person who threw out demons. If you had demon possession, you would go to this oh, guy he's Larson. An exorcist. An exorcism. He's anti-Ford and an exorcist. You know that man has a collection of tiny shoes in his basement. Now, here's the question: Were they pre-worn? You know the skeletons are somewhere underneath the cement. The shoes are still warm. <laughs> the, the, uh, allegedly. Allegedly. <gasps> Not starting any rumors, allegedly. No rumors. We we never want rumors to happen. The worst part is we. I know that we have people from like the day, the Sun and the Daily Star listening to this show, so they're like, "Wait, is this a scoop?" <laughs> no, nothing that happens on the show is ever a scoop. Everything is a. These are jokes. These are. Jokes. So, Mr. Larson, the Reverend Larson, pulled out a paper bag with a porn that he had just bought. This is out of college. I guess he had bought it at the convenience store next door. 
And he pulled out this porn magazine. And he shoved it in my face. He said, so Barry, what do you think of this? And I said, I don't think anybody has ever forced me to look at anything, pornographic or otherwise, until right now. So why did you do that? And then, you know, sensors are like dogs. If a dog comes to your place, if you live in an apartment, you're sitting out in the park, a dog comes up, you give a little piece of meat to the dog and you go, the dog looks hungry. And then you think, well, I'll never see that dog again. And then guess what? That dog comes back for meat the next day and the next morning and every time you are there. You have a dog now. They are insatiable. So that kind of brings us to a little bit of, I want to say today, of where we are, because we're still facing the same issues over and over that they went through the Reagan and the Nixon administration and the Johnson administration. And, you know, the same thing happened during the Clinton administration. And now we've gone to a point where now we're dealing with the world of online censorship. And now... You know, we had a few years ago, unfortunately, you know, FOSTA-SESTA implemented, and then we had also net neutrality repealed. Did it get, like, fully repealed? Like, this is how crazy the last few years have been. I'm like, wait, did, did net neutrality get repealed? Like, I'm I'm behind. <laughs> yes, and a fuck Ajit Pai. So, uh, yeah. so the problem fuck is, though, him into the moon. is that people say that, you know, the, the issue with things like this is ultimately, you know, these things have consequences. So... You're seeing people right now who were championing, you know, let's repeal net neutrality because it'll be better for competition or business. Oh but God. here's the thing. Ultimately, That's it's not how that works. And it's not better for speech because, for example, like, um, look, I'll call her Looney Loomer, but uh, Laura Loomer is someone I politically disagree with. She's someone who's basically, she's uh, like a political pundit. She's young. She's stupid. She's loud. Didn't she uh, handcuff herself to the Twitter uh, headquarters to try to yell about the fact that she was being censored by not having a, a platform on Twitter anymore? Exactly. But here's the thing. Like, Looney Loomer, she's running actually for political office down in Florida. Make whatever jokes you want there. They write themselves. But my point is this. So she was running a fundraising text message where she planned to share with donors, and it was rejected by Comcast Xfinity for, quote, dangerous content. This is the problem when you repeal net neutrality. You're telling platforms, no, you don't have to be neutral. You can choose to, you know, not have this content on your platform. And that's ultimately what they did. And now, she, you know, you have people like her who were for it, paying the price and wondering, wait, well, I didn't think this would happen to me. I didn't think that the tigers would eat my face. <laughs> They never expect that. It's interesting because now we have a lot of people on the far right who are all in favor of, what is it, repealing? Uh, uh, Section 230. Section so, 230, and they're all in favor of it. And it's like, no, this protects you too. This protects all of us and our ability to use the internet as we've all been, like, tomorrow, if I'm the person who owns Twitter and Facebook tomorrow and this goes away, do I want to keep running Twitter and Facebook does it keep working the way it does? No. Because Barry, you'll be sued a hundred times a day. Yeah, Barry, let's talk about this from the very beginning. So for a layman, can you describe what is Section 230? If someone has no idea what it is. Yeah, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says that uh, a person who provides a platform cannot be prosecuted in the event that they unknowingly 
uh, broadcast or allow to be published some kind of child pornography. Everything is, I hate child pornography. I hate everything about it. But I will tell you this, we know exactly what you do. Do not pass these, look at the names that they give these things, Fast Assassin. You know what they mean? I, I wrote it down this afternoon, I forgot. But here's, we know what you do. You want to know, do something about child trafficking in America? If you're not in a coma for the last decade, you know exactly what you do. You stop evictions so that you don't have teenagers out in the street in the winter or the summer. You make Diary sure in that... in need that, of anything that they can do for, for money, which in some cases is quite unfortunately prostitution, which puts them into a vulnerable position. You don't take teenagers and children away from their parents at the border, you find a way to make sure that they cannot be the subjects of uh, any kind of misconduct on the Mexico side or on the U.S. side. Let's stick on 230, by the way. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so from what I was reading, you know, what it seems like the early days of what happened with like back in the day, and I'm talking pre-AOL days, like CompuServe and Progeny, you know, the- Guys, I'm talking early 90s. <laughs> yeah. I, I was there. Kind of. Essentially, they initially said, hey, we're not going to moderate anything. CompuServe said that. But then Prodigy said, well, we're going to have moderators, but we're going to just prohibit bad stuff from being online. And, you know, whether you consider the bad stuff like pop-ups or malware or spam or bots, you know, that's still like removing those things counts as moderation, whether or not you agree or disagree. The thing is, you is exactly what you were saying, is that, you know, you have to give people leeway to in order to do that moderation. And if you don't, then, you know, you open them up to a host of legal liabilities where what ends up happening is pre-Section 230, Progeny, because they were doing this types of moderation, they they were being sued as if they were a magazine where they were responsible for every piece of content. So let me put it this way. Imagine we don't have 230. Imagine now, say, Twitter, hypothetically, they have to be held accountable for everything everyone says all the time. Like, how is that even feasibly possible? Well, it's not physically possible, but that's not the point. The point is to scare people. It's really easy to frighten people who think that they could be prosecuted by the full weight of the federal government. Or in the case of this new effort to modify Section 230, uh, even states are allowed to, under their own definitions of protecting children, to also go in and prosecute as a criminal matter or what's just as dangerous, a civil matter. So the people who are who claim that something is uh, lures people into child pornography, they could be sued civilly. They could be fined as well as sent to prison for five years. Wait a minute. What do you mean by lures? Like, as in grooming? Could be. That, that doesn't seem so defined. Well, no, but we're, remember what we, where we started. We are not in a world that defines anything very carefully. They think that if you say it protects children, that's all you need to do. And we we know that that's all you need to do. These statutes, I mean, remember, uh, FASA's in litigation still. My friends over at the Woodhall Freedom Foundation have sued, and that's in litigation. And the other bill hasn't even passed yet, but it might, you know, if they ever get around to meeting again, they might pass it. But The problem is the chill. You know, First Amendment nuts like myself talk about the chilling effect. 
the chilling. What does it do? It scares you into doing those things that you didn't ever intend to do, but you're afraid that somebody might come up and find it, and then you'll be prosecuted for it. That's the chill. That's why rock and roll lyrics, that's why everything that's been a subject of a controversy involving censorship that's where censors win. They don't win. Do you know, there? I think there were seven obscenity prosecutions successfully in the last eight years. Seven. Wow. If you Google something like pornography or obscenity, you don't find, you find a lot of child pornography things. And you find that most of those child pornography, it's against their parents. You have to get real about this. If you're serious about it, you cannot use these claims, oh, I have a right as a parent to do whatever I want. No, you don't. If you're trying to coerce your 14 or your four-year-old into sex movies, you don't have a right to do that. That's a thing people genuinely argue. Like, I understand people are crazy, but that's a thing people... It's I have a right to... It's my, Whoa. Sure, because you can't... Um, it, it's it's kind of like sex education in, in, a, in one way. If you talk about sex education, and then you find all the people down, the conser- ultra-conservatives that aren't even principled, and they're, I, I don't want my kid learning that stuff. But they're the same people who don't want their own children to know enough to avoid, among other things, unwanted pregnancies. The religious right, and that's what's the driver of so much of this. If if these well, efforts to restrict material on Twitter... But the thing is, it's not just Republicans that want to, you know, restrict, you know, some no, of these of freedoms not. and repeal, you know, Section 230, you know. I mean, we could talk about them all day, but let's also not, you know, uh, I don't want to be one of those people that just doesn't call out her own party. You know, you have people like, you know, Nancy Pelosi and a Democratic argument, which is platforms are not moderating enough. And, you know, it's driven by, unfortunately, a lot of this propaganda and, you know, fake news with foreign governments and appearing on platforms. Uh, So, I mean, everybody is, you know, saying, is Facebook moderating too much or too little? And, you know, depending who you ask, you're going to get different answers. Here's a question. Is anyone talking about how are they moderating? And, you know, is anybody putting legislation into how content moderation works? The answer is no. No one's having that discussion. Of course not. No, they're not having that. No one's having the discussion of, okay, can we hire out some people in the Philippines to do this for like 80 cents an hour? Yeah. Um, Isn't that what they do? Yeah. Let me talk about the absolutely worst thing. One of the things about our constitution that is clear, even to conservatives, is that you need a warrant in order to search. People can't walk into your house or my house or Yvette's house and say, we're just searching. We're suspicious. You might have something in there that's bad. But Bill Barr, our current attorney general, who wanted to restart pornography or obscenity prosecutions in the Justice Department back when he worked for George Bush and now again with Trump, he would like to have you be able to examine a person, any electronic communication, anything you write, anything you write, you post to a blog or you just write to somebody else should be accessible to law enforcement without a warrant. Now, think about that. Just that's that's everything. And that's part of the legislation that both the DOJ and the Earn It Act actually has put forward. 
And no matter what, you'll hear from someone saying, well, if you have nothing to hide, what's the problem? I don't want, there's, we have locks and passwords for a reason. Like it's okay to want people not looking through your shit just in case so that they can't put together a nefarious line of thinking for what they, they've decided you're doing with these Google searches. Like I'm a journalist. I look up a lot of things that I'm not necessarily looking to do, but I'm looking into the assholes that are doing it. And if someone's just going by the algorithm of what I've searched, they can piece together an interesting narrative for me. But like, that's why this whole tracking people by algorithm thing is extraordinarily dangerous. It's like, it's terrifying and has a very chilling effect um, on journalism, especially. To expand on that, so just so people have an idea of a little bit of background. So right now, guys, federal law does require, you know, online providers they provide any report uh, they find to the National Center for like Missing and Exploited Children. It reviews and passes them R and word to law enforcement. And as of last year, the current volume of reports, the NCMEC, was nearly 1 million reports per month. And here's the thing. Most of the high volume is due to automated detection systems that a lot of these providers have implemented. But the key word is that this is all voluntary. Why? And that's because of the Fourth Amendment. And the Fourth Amendment protects Americans against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. And, you know, in order for a search to be reasonable, it requires a warrant. That's why people just can't go into your email. You know, they need a warrant. And at the end of the day, the problem with the Earn It bill and a lot of these types of legislation is that they basically say that the government makes a private company act on behalf of the government and that they don't need a warrant. And just based on your communication, they can search and, you know, and start investigating you based on your own private communication. So that's one of multiple reasons this is unconstitutional as well. No, it is. And it's... um. And as you said, there are requirements now to report what you consider to be, if you think there's some kind of activity going on that involves child exploitation, you do send it to this national center. They do investigate. And back in the day before uh, Craigslist and other organizations that did a lot of personals, law enforcement used to set up people. In other words, they would see an ad that would say, uh, you know, for fun, call me. And then they would undercover, they would, they would call the person up, undercover agents say, oh, how much fun do you want to have? And then they'd say something about sex and money, and then they'd be arrested yeah. for prostitution. So that mm -hmm. bill, again, it's still in litigation. But that really says to people, don't take out an ad, whether you're really suggesting you're a hooker or you're not, just go back on the street, go to the hotel bars. And that's, of course, by every every person knows is more dangerous than putting an ad in the back of Craigslist. And what's crazy about this is they have to know that this is not going to curb this behavior, right? Like on some level, we know sex work has been around as long as there has been sex and work. And them saying, don't do it here is not going to make it not happen anywhere. It's just going to make criminals out of people who were doing a thing that they were doing completely consentingly before this legislation. So I, I, you know, I'd say I don't know why they're doing it, but I know exactly why they're doing it, because it looks good to their hyper conservative base. Uh, and I mean, even in the case of liberals, people like to pretend like they're saying prostitution's bad. Like, 
it's bullshit legislation to signal to people that they're against the sex and it's maddening to anyone who's adult enough to look at the situation uh, I lobbied maturely. for the ACLU. I lobbied for Americans United for Separation of Church and State, for other organizations also on the left. And I'll tell you, the one thing you didn't want to do was force Democrats, who are otherwise reasonable progressive people, into taking a vote that would be then mischaracterized as something like, oh, they're in favor of sex work. They're in favor of child sex. You never want to put those people in that position because Democrats, just like Republicans, are scared to death of this issue. And you see what happens. Look at the sponsorship of all the legislation we've just been talking about for the last 10 minutes. Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. I mean, people who you think... Bipartisan down the line. Yeah, it's bipartisan. And that's bad. The only thing that's worse than looking like you're pro-sex in the Senate is to look like you're anti-God. Because that also is a killer. What's amazing right now, and let's be honest about this. What's amazing right now is we probably have our first atheist president, and he sucks. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> but Obama was an atheist. Let's be honest. No, I actually, it's, no, I, I try to take people. It, no. At, I no, what? I try to take people at their word. He goes to church. He has historically, like, he went to church beforehand. Continued to go to church afterwards. Like, I try to take people at their words. And here's the thing: Trump doesn't even know how to hold a Bible. Cannot name a favorite Bible verse. Like, it seemed like Obama had a pastor for twenty some odd years. Like, he might be someone who doesn't buy into all the you know little pits of dogma. But when someone says, "Yeah, I have a place where I go to church on Sunday," I find like this is a I try to not put my, like, hey, I believe a lot of the same things as them, so I think they must believe. Like, there are a lot of scientists and a lot of really smart, rational people who definitely believe. Yeah, there are plenty of people that that have a deep spiritual sense and a religious sense. They're Christians, and they don't want to attach what they believe to everyone else. But I'm, I'm shocked that you would say that, that Donald Trump doesn't know much about the Bible. Remember when he was running in 2016 and he went down to the late Jerry Falwell's Liberty University and, and he, he was asked to uh, uh, talk about, he said, I was just talking to Jerry's son about my favorite Bible verse and, and, and we had the same one. It was from that book, uh, Two Corinthians. I do not know any Bibles person who refers to it as two Corinthians. It's second <laughs> Corinthians. But I, as I've said, you know, it's a good joke. Like uh, two Corinthians and an Ephesian walk into a bar. That's a good start for a wonderful joke. But he's not would, funny. No. Donald Trump isn't funny. No, that's the one thing I will give him is he occasionally has comic timing. But he's like, sometimes funnier than the people I see at different comic places, you know. Yeah, like I've seen some people fail at open mic nights that that Donald Trump, like, look, he's playing to his bait. He's playing to people who think he's funny already. He kills at his rallies. I'm just saying, I think that the butt of the joke is us. And that's not good. I can laugh at my own impending doom is the only reason why he's funny. But really quick, Yvette. So one quick thing I want to challenge you on. So I know you say that you're really convinced that Obama is a Christian, but I personally think that, you know, look, his biological father was an atheist. His mom, an atheist and anthropologist. His grandparents raised him as, uh, they were vocal atheists. On top of that- It's not hereditary. Look, I know, but look, I'm genetically Jewish and I'm an atheist. Dude, all I'm saying is that the way he espouses his problems when referring to the Bible, you know, it just seems like he's 
he's a like if anything a closet atheist because he found God at 26 what he happened to you know become an organizer and you know in politics like most people do oh, look all I'm saying is I think he's a little bit more skeptical but you're using now I would say a lawyer I'm going to I'm going to defer to our barrister that we have on hand a lawyer would argue that you are using circumstantial evidence and Obama uh, is using firsthand witness evidence to say that he is a believer and we always go with firsthand witness uh, uh, testimony before circumstantial evidence yeah, I'm afraid you win the case event. You you're, win the you case. You're welcome. I mean, I, this is a, it was a commendable, I, Alice, your effort. Look, all I'm saying is listen to him talk about him, talk about religion and Christianity. It sounds forced as hell. Be yourself a good skeptic and try not to believe the thing that you want to be true right now. I would love it if he was an atheist. I would love if we'd be like, oh, we had our first atheist president and he was a good, he was a cool one too. I'm sure we've had many before. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the Jefferson Definitely. Bible. It was basically a, he basically ripped out all the miracles. Yeah, the first atheist president raped slaves. <laughs> like, it's, I'm going to guess the founding fathers were less religious than the current Republican Party. That, that being said, there are a lot of them, like, I would guess a quarter of the people that are in office right now now are not religious just none of them have the gumption to admit it because they're like oh, it's it's election suicide like they just they can't do it they know what'll happen which is kind of sad i know it's election suicide it's political suicide and all i'm saying is just consider that he might be a, look i he's a very secular you know previous president that we had i hear what you're saying I 100% hear what you're saying. I 100% and here's the thing. I, I've had so many debates with so many people in the atheist community on whether oh, or not yeah. he's an atheist. I, I think he's one of the tribe. I always go with taking people at their word. Because here's the thing. There are people that do But this. it's in politics. Hey, you know who? I have 300 and some odd thousand followers and they try to stick their shit on me. Okay. They have their... I think she really believes this. No, I don't. But you said that I told you I didn't believe. But you always did. I not just say that I believe this. It will take me at my word. You're telling me to take a politician as word. And we both know there's so many politicians that are atheists and are not coming out. Yeah, this one actually goes to church on Sundays, though, as opposed uh. to Trump, who doesn't who probably doesn't know more. He, like if you asked him to name the four gospels in the Bible, he'd be like, isn't it all the gospel? Trump is his own God. OK, Trump was asked in the last campaign, what's your favorite, your favorite. book in the Bible? And, and he said, I like them all. And then they said, well, what, what, what's your favorite testament, the Old Testament? And the, oh, I love them both equally. And that's oh a pretty God. good sign that this is not, shall we say, a Bible scholar no. in sheep's clothing. He's not. But you can't, in politics, you're right. And Alice, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many people who are, I mean, if, if you push them, I remember it's prepping a senator for a debate on the Phil Donahue show. And I said, look, of course you're against uh, prayer in the school. You, you don't even believe in God. And, and he said, uh, I'm a Unitarian. Which is a religion. <laughs> but I mean, th that's the most you could say. My, my former, uh, member of Congress, when I had a member of Congress, Jamie Raskin, of course, is one of the people who formed this kind of secular coalition within Congress and has about six or yeah. seven members. And uh, the senator from Hawaii is actually shows up at humanist and atheist gatherings uh, so that it's something that's not 
nearly as uh, difficult to do these days, but it's still awfully hard to do it. This is true. All right. So what I'm saying is, look, Obama, you don't have to write in yourself. But if if Malia, if your father is actually an atheist, email us info at two girls, one mic. We need to know. Claudia Conway, if you somehow have info, we want it all. Claudia, just, just tap twice. If you need a new guardian, we'll help. Whatever you need, Claudia. Claudia, just don't even email us. Just make a TikTok. I signed up for TikToks, but like, and I, I know this sounds weird because like she's a 15 year old and that sounds fucking creepy, but like I signed up for TikTok so that I could like see what the next, look, I need to get reliable <laughs> news on President Trump's like health. Okay. And the only place I trust right now is Claudia fucking Conway because she has no agenda. Oh, so. no. Yeah, so I signed up just to be like, all right, what's the next TikTok from Claudia Conway going to be? She's also a really good piano player, so that was that was a pleasant surprise. Nice. Well, this has been fun. And thank you so much for joining us. Barry, where can our listeners find more of you? Yeah, well, if you go to my uh, my website, www.barrywlynn.com, you'll see a bunch of things. You'll even see a notice that I'm going to be on this program. I was on a program uh, with a, a sex and relationship therapist in London a few weeks ago. And there are all those things up. There's a, a sermon, I think, I did uh, for Unitarians, and we've spoken about Unitarian Church. A little clip of uh, something I did for Lewis Black. I, I had uh, both retired, and Lewis was uh, had agreed to just MC my departure. A few weeks oh. later, I ended up in four different hospitals. I lost my ability to speak half of oh my, my eyesight, and I got it back. And Lewis wrote to me, he said, I'm going to be in Washington. Just I know you're not feeling very well, but will you do a rant after my show? And I said, you can't say no to Lewis Black. Oh so, my God. And there is a video of me That's doing such that. such an honor. And uh, it was, uh, it's at the very bottom of barrywlynn.com. You can oh, sign up for a mailing out. list, but I don't mail you very many things. I'm frequently a guest on John Fugelsang's show and on uh, the David Feldman show. But you can learn more than you wanted to know about me and about my forthcoming book, which is called You Don't Know Me, and because every book needs the subtitle, the subtitle is, But You Might Be Familiar With Some of the People I've Met. And it's all about the people that have changed my life, uh, only a few of whom I mentioned tonight, but I'm having fun writing it, and uh, I hope to get it finished uh, before we hit the next pandemic. <laughs> it's a good goal. By the way, if uh, you're a listener, you can help support the show and get the full video version of this. So head on over to twogirlswithmike.com, hit support, hit the Patreon button, or patreon.com slash twogirlswithmike. And of course, as usual, we have some patrons to thank this week, and this week we want to thank... And again, you want to become a patron? Head on over to Girls on Mike. You can also do a one-time support by donating via PayPal. Eva, where can the listeners find you? Y'all can find me at the Cybabe over on Twitter and Instagram and over at Facebook.com slash Cybabe, where I do bi-weekly Facebook Lives to try to explain COVID, the pandemic, and occasionally things are pants optional because why not? Alice, where can people find you and all things the podcast? 
Guys, you can find all things the podcast at TGM Podcast, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where most active on Twitter we find. I'm kind of banned off Facebook for a month, so Yvette, you might have to what, help. What did, what did you do? I, what happened? I posted a photo of me getting banned off Facebook onto Facebook, and that, I got banned for 30 days. Oh, it's just <laughs> shit will make it work. We're going to have to use one of my sock puppet accounts. Facebook employees ignore exactly everything I just said. There are no, there are no sock puppets. No sock puppets. To potentially try posting on the page again because I have to share the porn stuff and the new episodes with the world. And uh, with the Facebook ban, yeah, unfortunately, that it's a little hard. But you guys can find the show in all those places. Of course, leave a comment, review, subscribe, and make sure to tell all your friends, family. And you guys can find me, Alice, at Rational Blonde on Twitter. But of course, you could find me and all of us, except Barry, uh, next week here on the show. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.